This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode lucky 13. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to you. Today we talk about the topic whether happiness levels can change or what's up with that. We talk about influences of happiness, um, something called plasticity, which talks about how brains can change over time, uh, the happiness set point and what to do with all this kind of information. Now, I would say that there are perhaps three reasons why it's easy to believe that everything is fixed or at least to believe that change is very, very hard. One is your personal experience. Now, the thing with personal experience is that actually we've changed in tons of ways since we were a baby. However, we take those w- the times when it actually worked for granted. So in our mind, when we think about change, some people might have the tendency to think that to only remember the times when change did not work out for them. So that leads people to believe that change is very, very difficult. But actually, we were designed for change. If you think about what you could do as a baby, you might have been a bundle of joy and, you know, you probably weren't a blank slate, but you couldn't do, you know, 99.9% of everything that you can do today. Think about it. Um, Understanding these words, that's something you had to learn, and that change took several years to take place. Um, walking, um, writing, even, you know, learning how to breathe, probably, although that comes naturally, but like how you do it in certain situations, for example, when you think about working out, like all, we're totally designed for change, but we take those changes for granted, which work out, and kind of amplify and like put those changes which don't uh, we put a lot of emphasis on them so that makes us believe that change is very hard and I would not argue that that's not true sometimes change is very hard however if we just look at the times when change did not work out for us we will actually set ourselves up to make change in the future even more difficult so that's why the second reason is probably there are a lot of overblown promises there are a lot of Um, books, videos, DVDs, courses, which promise all kinds of things. And and we've learned that maybe most of those promises actually don't happen in that way, Um, don't pan out in reality the way we might have imagined it. And um, that is one thing is that probably that has a lot to do with that's the fact how people make money and they make money by persuading people. So that's one reason the other reason is though if we're honest do we actually always do all the things that these courses tell us to do do we actually take the time to sit down and go through the exercises that these um, self-help books teach us and you know if we don't maybe it's not so much about the fact that everything is hard and impossible but maybe that we didn't attempt it in the first place another major major reason um, why the idea that everything is fixed and or that change is really really difficult comes from the tremendous success that the field of field of genetics had now um, when they when that field basically exploded and 
they were very successful in explaining lots and lots of things. And that led to people, you know, thinking that, oh, wow, you know, um, these things that I might want to change, that's possibly as pointless as trying to change the color of my eyes. And while there is probably quite a lot that is determined or at least influenced by genes, I don't want to say determined, but influenced by genes, um, what they found in recent years is actually that genes have something like little on and off switches. Um, this is what the field of epigenetics is talking about. So basically they found that even though you might have the genetic propensity to develop in a certain way, the, um, your lifestyle can actually flip on certain switches or, or keep them off. So that led to people believing you know as a culture that that change that lots of things are predetermined that there's not much we can do and yeah they, they had the scientific research to prove that and only in the last maybe 15 to 20 25 years things slowly started to change before people really thought you know um until the age of about 16 or 17 maybe the brain is developing and then that's the end of it and this belief although you might have never consciously thought about it is still living on in our culture you know in in things such as you know when you hear people say like um old dogs can't learn new tricks and stuff like that so that perpetuates this idea that change is really 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 hard or that everything is fixed and it's pointless to start in the first place so yeah just to recap personal experience um overblown promises and the field of genetics and the cultural idea that things are fixed might have contributed to you thinking that change is really very hard so you might be skeptical about happiness levels and how they can change now before we get into happiness levels, um, we have to talk about something called plasticity. Now, plasticity is the ability of the brain to change in specific ways according to what we do. So, the most famous study um, about plasticity is about taxi drivers. So, if you think about it, people at all of all ages st might start becoming taxi drivers you know that's usually not something that people think like oh i'm uh, 16 i want to become a taxi driver probably not there's also not a taxi driver school like it's not a life path that's very nor um regular that people be like oh i want to be a taxi driver so people actually enter the the profession of being a taxi driver at very uh, various ages so in london what they did was they looked at how the brain changed as a result of going through the training of becoming a taxi driver. Now, you can imagine if you've ever been to London, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, there are, of course, countless roads, so it's actually quite a, quite a feat to be able to remember that. And that was back in the days when we didn't have GPS. So now that same study might be a little bit difficult to replicate because they can just listen to what the GPS is saying. But back then there was no such thing as GPS. So people actually had to learn where all these places are and how to get there. And what they found was that people who underwent that training suddenly um, 
had growth in the hippocampus, which is about, you know, which is the area of the brain concerned with um, spatial memory. So that really showed us that even though you're maybe older than 16, your brain is very, very capable of still changing. Um, and that it really depends on what you do and how often you train. Now, what makes change hard from a biological standpoint is the fact that the brain has this built-in mechanism, which is actually there to help you. And this built-in mechanism is that if you repeat something, you know, a lot, you will get better at it and faster. And eventually, if you do something, you know, hundreds and hundreds of time, and that can be a physical movement, but it can also be, for example, thinking the same thought after seeing the same thing, okay? So whatever it is, your brain tries to help you, and it does that by making things more efficient. So every time you think a specific thought after a specific input, or every time you perform a certain sequence of movements or whatever it is, your brain will register that, the neurons will fire, and they will learn to fire quicker and in sync with each other every time you do it. So if you've been thinking or acting in certain ways your entire life, what happens is that your brain will automate that for you. And it does that because it says, you know what, there's no point in you making conscious decisions about this all the time because you're doing it anyway. So let me take, let me free some mental space for you by automating everything that I do. And that can make it very hard because some of our thoughts, they do create certain emotions. And those emotions might become troublesome to us if we if we have certain situations which might make us angry every single time. And these situations, they might happen so fast, you know, seeing or perceiving whatever it is that's making you angry. Um, your brain rushing through it at record speed and then suddenly you just have the emotion and it's far too fast for you to actually understand what happens. So... The reason why people find it hard to change is that they don't, they're not even conscious of lots of processes that are happening. And that's basically because the architecture of our brain is built in such a way to help us to make things easier for us, which we do on a regular basis. Now, I would love to give credit to whoever came up with this, but unfortunately, I don't, I have no clue where I read this. But if you think about it, um, you can think about it like this. If you perform a behavior or if you try to have um, a different thought about something, your brain, for the first time, okay, your brain is basically walking through a jungle. Now, if you've ever been to the jungle, you might know that it's pretty hard to walk there. Um, you need You need a huge... Um, knife to basically cut everything out of your way you need to you're very likely to stumble because there are all, all kind of things lying on the ground so even going like you know half you know like a quarter mile it's 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 not a big distance at all, at all but even going a quarter mile through the jungle can be quite a workout because you have to put a lot of effort into freeing your path okay now think about it, whoever comes after you, 
Okay, so this is the repeated time your brain does something. So the first time it's like it's like basically cutting your way through the jungle, okay? The second time it's already a little bit easier, but it's still not that easy. It's still likely to stumble. You still have to look at where you walk and all of that. But now if 100 people follow you, eventually the path will get trampled down and it will, you know, turn into some place where it's very easy to walk and eventually maybe someone will decide that they would actually um you know create a pavement and um and after a while somebody might decide you know what actually we should be able to walk this this part of the way um we shouldn't be able to walk it we could also take a car so so they might um you know create us create a road and then the the quarter miles which might have taken you maybe 20 minutes before suddenly only takes two minutes and then if you know thousands and thousands of people take that road eventually that road will become bigger and in the end it's like a super highway and on a super highway you can drive quite fast you know not like walking through the jungle for the first time so basically that's the process that your brain undergoes every time it's trying to learn something new which means that when you try to break an existing habit, you're basically fighting a super highway where everybody is going at like 100 miles an hour, okay? Whereas if you're trying to establish a new habit, you have to cut th- everything, you know, you have to cut your, cut the way free for you. So that is that puts a lot of effort into it. What I like about knowing this is the fact that it, enables us to be a little bit more patient with ourselves okay so you might have heard of the idea that there's something like a happiness set point which basically says that you know um, through your genes and whatever else influences happiness you have like a base level so some people are naturally more inclined to be happy and some are um, less inclined to be so and even after big life events people tend to return to that baseline level um, after one to five years, depending on what the event is. And that's true if something really good happens, and it's also true if something really bad happens. Now, while the idea of this happiness set point has been, you know, supported by various researchers, what hasn't been done yet is to look at, okay, um, what happens if people are really willing to put the effort in, you know, not just for a week or two or a month or two, but actually if people over a large amount of time decide to really change the way they think. And as far as I know, um, please correct me if I'm wrong, send me feedback if I'm wrong. But as far as I know, um, there is no research out there where people actually systematically try to change their happiness level over a large amount of time. So we simply don't know yet if you can lastingly change the happiness set point significantly or not. However, what they found was that there are different influences on happiness. Now, one we talked about briefly was genes. Um, The other is lifestyle and basically the decisions you make. And the third things are your circumstances. Now, if you have ever read anything about it, you might have come over, come across the pie chart, which 
talks about, you know, 50% um, of your happiness is determined by your genes, 40% by is under your control, and 10% is circumstances. Now, while this is a really sexy chart, um, it, it's not very helpful to you as an individual. The problem is that you can't really separate your genes, your lifestyle, and your circumstances. You never, you're one person. You have no freaking clue if something you're doing, like right now, if if that's your genes, your your lifestyle, um, if it's the current circumstances, because most likely it's all three of those things interacting. What this means is basically that they found that when they analyzed lots and lots of studies, when you look at thousands of people, then you can statistically see, oh, okay, 40, 50% was genes, 40% was influences, 10% was circumstances. However, for you as an individual, this is not the case. And even if you could somehow manage to keep these things separate, how would you know in any given situation if it's your genes messing with you if, um, or if it's your circumstances, what's, what's just happened in the last couple of days, or if it's your lifestyle, you, you have no idea. So it's probably not that helpful thinking about that. What is helpful is thinking, okay, um, I don't know what exactly or what single or several factors are influencing my happiness levels right now. However, what you can influence is you know, what you want, if you want to change, if yes, how, what things make sense to, you know, would you like to really change and take the effort in turning that jungle into a superhighway and where you think that's not worth it. So what should you do with this information? What should you do with the information that, well, basically there are different sources of you know reasons why we are as happy as we are they interact in very complicated ways so what can you do with this information well what i'd like to say is that um try to be a scientist of your own life um what does that mean that basically means that instead of just following the default of what your brain has maybe been doing for the last you know, 20, 30, however many years you've been on this earth, if you really want to be more conscious of, you know, what it means to have a lead a happy and meaningful life, you might want to look at in what cases, um, what are the things that maybe you want to change? What are the things where acceptance might be a much better option? And how you can do that, that's not an answer that anybody can answer for you, really. I mean, it's you you have to think about it. In which instances did acceptance really work out for you in a good way? Um, when is the last time you successfully accepted something? How did you do that? Um, and what are the things you can't and don't want to accept? What are the things where you think change is important and you want to do it? Think about all the times when change was successful. And again, don't just gloss over the stuff which we, we might take for granted because if you think about it, um, for example, just walking, um, it's actually quite a miraculous process. If you, if you look at the biology and how all these muscles and tendons and bones and 
um, your lungs and everything has to work together. Actually, even that is quite a miracle. And all these parts of your bodies had to learn, you know, what to do when you walk. So all of us, even if we feel that we're not very successful, we have changed successfully over our lifespan. So what changes worked for you? And what did you do to make them real? As I said, I think a biological understanding can help with impatience and demotivation. I think one problem is that when we attempt change and it doesn't work, that we beat ourselves up and we just abandon the exercise. But actually, if you know that it's biology, it's not you, it's biology. Like That's the way that cell biology works. Cells need some time to slow down existing superhighways. And to, you know, enable new pathways through the jungle. And if you know that, you know it's not your fault. It's just the way that biology works. It might be easier for you to do that. Um, Another thing that I find very valuable is the distinction distinction between um, accepting things, which I would define as making peace with them, and making excuses, right? So you can say like, oh, this is in my genes. And um, you can be very defensive about it and um, and fight about that. Or you can accept that, you know what, maybe your genes did not pre- predispose you to become a basketball player, but that's not a bad thing in itself because there are lots of other awesome opportunities in this world um, outside, of the, outside of basketball. Um, as a scientist of your life, it's your job to figure out when accepting um, works for you and what are the things that you're trying to change. And if you say like, well, all this information is really quite confusing, how shall I, how shall I approach things? Um, I would like to remind you, and if you're interested in this, go back to episode number nine, which was about optimism. Optimism has been linked with a lot of beneficial effects especially for our health so optimism is you know the idea that you can do something will at least get you on the pathway to doing something is optimism enough to achieve all our goals no it's not um they found that we have to consider obstacles as well um if we want to be successful but optimism does not mean that you're blindly blindly believing in some delusion it just means that you think that something will turn out okay and if you do that you are likely to actually start something and the last thing that you might want to think about is some people discuss you know like does it make sense to 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 go after happiness in the first place and that's an interesting question you know because apparently i think it's um Miss Iris Mouse, I, I believe her name is, she did some research and she found that people who were actually trying to consciously make themselves happier um, did not succeed. However, there is also research which showed the opposite. So I guess the jury is still out on that one. Um, my hunch, and this is not necessarily scientific, but I think if you have to think about the time span that you're looking at. So if you're in a situation, okay, and you... Let's say you're meeting a friend and you expect that meeting, that friend to make you happy. That takes your attention away 
from actually enjoying the presence of your friend. So I would argue that if you go for short-term happiness, that might be something that does not work. However, if you go for long-term happiness, meaning that you adapt behaviors which have been shown to improve people's happiness levels, which have been shown to lead to a more meaningful life, then pursuing happiness is a good idea. So, I hope this was helpful to you, and see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.